0: about can have a really huge impact in all of our lives, okay? Especially for those of you that are married or dating, um, most of your life is spent in a relationship with that other person. I mean, it just is, right? So most of the, if if you're married, so just you married people right now, if you're married, most of your life is lived in relationship to that other person. So most of the good things, most of the bad things, most of the suffering, most of the trials, most of the deep joys and laughter, most of it's going to be with that other person, okay? And so if most of your life is spent there, then talking about your relationship, talking about your marriage can have such a huge impact. You all know, look, we all know if if you had parents, okay, which I think everyone in here had parents, if we have parents, you know how much a marriage can affect another human being, right? I mean... What was your parents' marriage like? It had an effect on you, for good or for better. And so talking about marriage and the ideas that we're talking about can have an enormous impact. I mean, it can literally change people's entire lives. I mean, talking about little kids, it can change their entire lives, their entire perception. It can change the other person's life that you're in. I mean, you can make someone's life a living hell, or you can make someone's life a delight to be in. It can have impact in the friendships and the people around you. I mean, it just can have a huge impact. So even if you're not married, most of the people in this room at some point will be married. And talking about marriage can have such a huge impact in your life, huge. And tonight, especially, I think tonight, um, if you never wanna come again, I'm glad you're here tonight because I think tonight to me is the most important. I think tonight, and you know, I haven't, Preached all the other ones yet, so I don't know, but to me, tonight, I think is the key uh, to a good, solid marriage, to a marriage that creates a legacy that you actually want to hand down to other people, that has an impact on the people around you, that's the kind of marriage that you want to aspire to if you're dating or in a relationship, and beyond that, I also think it's just, you know, again, just as a people issue, not so much a marriage issue, I, I really think that tonight is the key to just life in general. And we're talking about conflict tonight, okay? And we're talking about conflict. And I want you to think about, as we talk about this, what was your last conflict? If you're married, it might have been out in the hall, okay? might have been, all the, some of you are like, how do you know? Because I'm married, so I know. Maybe on the drive, I feel like there's just, almost everybody that's married gets into a, a, some sort of conflict on the way to church. That's just like a classic thing that everybody knows. I don't know if it's, whatever. Okay, so anyways, so you probably have some one that happened just recently. But if you're not married, just what was your last conflict? Just what was the last conflict you had with another person? Coworker, boss, friend, family member, spouse, child. What was the last conflict that you had? Why don't you think about that? Okay, and what happened? And why did it happen? How did it get resolved? Conflict is absolutely normal, okay? Whether you're married or unmarried, conflict is a part of life. We're all, so, you know, maybe you just need me to normalize that for you. Conflict is normal, right? We all are going, we're sinful human beings that live in a world that's got all sorts of broken things in it with other people that sin against us. Even if we don't want any conflict, other people say, hey, I'd like to have a conflict with you today. Oh, great. Thank you for making my day. It doesn't matter. Conflict is normal, okay? It's just a normal part of life. But here's what conflict does, okay? It takes you somewhere. Conflict in your relationship takes you somewhere, Now, it can take you somewhere bad, or it can take you somewhere good. But this is why conflict is so important, because conflict always takes you somewhere. And so the the thing we have to ask is, which way is it going to take me? So I want you to think about this right now if um, if you're married, but I also want you to think about it just in relationships that you've had conflict with. If you're married, are you, where, where are you? Okay, where have you been taken? Do you feel more affectionate, more joyful with your spouse than when you were dating or first met or your first year of marriage? Do you feel more um, delighted in them? Do you feel a deeper sense of unity and friendship and intimacy? Or if you are not married, with your friendships, where are they at? Do you feel a deepening sense of, man, we really get one another and we are more free to confront one another and more free to forgive one another and we have a deeper sense of love for each other? Conflict takes you somewhere. It takes you somewhere. For better or for worse, conflict takes you somewhere. And if we handle conflict the wrong way, what happens is that it leads us to either hostility in a relationship Okay, and you've, you, maybe you've had relationships like this. You you were in a relationship. If you're married, maybe you've experienced this. But even just with people, maybe in your family even, brothers, sisters, parents, conflict led to maybe a deepening hostility. Maybe you don't even talk to the person anymore. You don't like them. You can If you think about them, you only think bad things about them. If you're married, your marriage is just kind of really tense. Or it takes you to just a distance, a coldness. and, And what happens is you get into patterns, you get into ruts, because conflict is taking you somewhere. It's not just, sometimes I think what we think is, I'm doing this one kind of selfish thing. I'm doing this one um, I said this one harsh word. I said this one insensitive thing. I was kind of rude here. I was kind of impatient here, but it just happened there. But what happens is you're going somewhere. You're, and it might be one step at a time, but you are going somewhere, which is usually you look back and go, okay, where? that's why I said, you know, if you look at today, where are you? Is it more joyful, more affectionate, deeper friendship, but maybe even with friends, and I see this happen all the time with people. You go, man, I had this friend, but what happened? Maybe, I mean, think about the, maybe the last friend you aren't friends with anymore. What happened? A lot of times it's, it wasn't necessarily one thing that blew up, but there's just kind of, if you look back, you go, oh, I see there was a conflict that led to either hostility or it led to a distance over time. And we started having certain patterns and certain conflicts that took us further along. If we don't handle conflict the right way, it takes us somewhere in a bad direction. And if we handle conflict the right way, it takes us somewhere also. But it takes us to a beautiful place. It takes us to a place of deeper joy and deeper intimacy and deeper friendship. Probably, for most of you, the best friends that you have, if they're really good friends, and maybe you don't have good friends, and so that wouldn't be true, but if you have people that are just, man, this person, I, they, I, man, they are just a soul friend to me. They're probably someone you've had some conflict with. I know that's true with me, and it was handled in the right way. So conflict takes you Somewhere. It can either take you to a place of hostility and coldness, or it can take you to a place where it's actually a gift. This is why I think this is one of the most important things that we can talk about, because everyone's going to have conflict. We're all going to have it. Pretty much every week of your life, you'll have some conflict, either in marriage or with a customer service person or coworker or family person or somebody you're going to have conflict with. But particularly the relationships you actually want, you're going to have conflict in them, and it will take you somewhere. It takes you somewhere. And it can be a great gift because if you handle it the right way, it takes you further along in intimacy and affection and joy. But to do that, we have to know how to actually use conflict, how to actually have conflict. And so let's start with this. Why do we have conflict? And we've talked about this a little bit, But I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of it tonight. So we've talked about some of this already in previous um, sermons. And so I'm just going to give a little bit of recap, but then get into kind of the details of the middle of a conflict. But why do we have conflict? Okay, why does it happen? Again, you can just think about, okay, what was the last conflict you had? Why do you have it? With anybody, with any human being, why do you have conflict? There's some issue right? I mean, I know that's like, well, yeah, of course. There's some issue, something, something that somebody says to you, maybe something that is an insult, maybe an insensitive word they say, maybe they make fun of you, maybe they mock you, maybe they don't say some word to you that you want them to say to you, like thank you, or you look pretty, or you look handsome, or you smell good, or whatever. Somebody says something, or they don't say something. Hey, didn't you notice what I did? Didn't you notice that I cleaned everything up? Didn't you notice that I got you a present? Didn't you notice that I've been really kind and uh, compassionate towards you? Didn't you notice that? So some issue, often with words, either unsaid or said or actions, right? You're late somewhere. Nobody else has that issue, right? You're late somewhere. It seems like one spouse is always the late one and one's not. I think that's just one of God's little things he does to bring two people together to see some explosions happen, right? You never get two people that are like, let's always be on time. That just never happens, you know? <laughs> see? The laughter proves the point. Um, so something happens. Either a word is spoken or not spoken. An action is done or not done. Some issue, right? What was the last conflict you had? What was the issue on the table? Some issue. But why do we have conflict? Because a lot of times, that's as far as we go. There's this issue. This is why we have conflict. Okay, but that's the what. And we've talked about, we've got to go below the surface of just the issues on the table and go, why, though, did we have a confliction over that? I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. Why, why was there conflicting that happened? And here's what James tells us in the Bible. He says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes the arguments you have? What causes those little spats that you have? What causes the, the tension that you have? What causes the disagreements that you have? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, when he's saying murder, he doesn't necessarily literally mean murdering, although that can happen, but it's that we attack the other person, that we murder in our heart, like Jesus says, which is when we are angry towards another person, with an unrighteous anger. So what is it that causes it? James doesn't say, well, it's the other person, of course. That's what causes it. It's them. He doesn't say, well, it's this. It's finances, and it's sex, and it's kids, and it's... He doesn't say that. It says, what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions, the desires that you have within you that you do not have, that you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel and you argue and you disagree. So you want something that you don't get. You want something that the other person doesn't provide. You want something that the other person's in the way of. And oftentimes, So again, don't just think about the object. Well, yeah, I want to be on time. That's what I want. Yeah, but, okay, but why is there a fight? What is it that you desire that they're in the way of? And a lot of times it's those heart-level deep things. You want respect, and you don't get it. You want appreciation, and you don't get it. You want approval, and you don't get it. You want peace, and you don't get it. You want the other person to understand you, and you don't get it. That's a big one for me sometimes, especially with customer service folks. I want you to understand what I'm saying. I don't even care if you fix it. I want you to understand, hear me. Usually not said with, you know, that much (laughs) dignity. Um, We want something, right? Right? We want something which leads to all sorts of other issues. What was the last conflict you had? What was it? What did you want that the other person wasn't giving? What did you want that they were in the way of? What did you want? Not just object, not just issue, but in your heart. What was the thing that you were after? That if you really boil it down, that you didn't get. I remember Sarah and I... um, I can't remember if we were married. If we were married, it was our first year of marriage, or I think we were dating. Um, we had this argument, a big argument, about suitcases. I don't even, if we didn't even talk about this. I don't even know if you remember. And she, she was telling me she wanted, once, you know, we were married, so I think we were dating, engaged or something. She was like, I want matching suitcases. And I was like, do you remember this? I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Who wants matching suitcases? I already have a suitcase. I'm not going to go sell my suitcase to match your dumb suitcase. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And I I don't care if you, I don't want to match your suitcase. Like, that's just dumb. And we got in this huge argument about it. Because I was an idiot. And I didn't understand. It wasn't like she was just a suitcase fiend. It wasn't like this weird thing, you know? She's not just like neurotic about suitcases. It was, you know, it was, it was, she wanted, what, what did she want? She wanted togetherness, unity, intimacy, and was wondering, is that going to be in our relationship? Is that going to be there? Are we going to be together? Are we going to be one? Are we going to be on the same page? Are you going to identify with me? And for her, that was represented in that moment in suitcases. And for me, I didn't see that. I was just like, it's a suitcase. It's stupid, you know? Didn't, I didn't get it, didn't get that underneath there was a deeper desire. And she might not have even understood that either, that that's what she wanted. Today we actually have matching suitcases, which I was, <laughs> I was thinking about this. As I was thinking about this, I was like, oh my gosh, we have matching suitcases. And I'm the one that bought them. I didn't even, <laughs> been tricked. Um, subconscious, you know, she got me. Um, but, that, but that was an example of this issue that we fought about so much about suitcases. And I think we, she was crying even, and I was like, I do, I do not get this. It's a suitcase. A lot of times we have these arguments. You have arguments with people, and you wonder, why did that become this thing? There's something you desire. There's something you want. The other person's in the way of, or you're afraid they won't give it to you. You're afraid that you'll miss out on. So why do we have conflict? James says it's the desires, it's the passions, it's the things that you want that the other person isn't giving to you. And I'm not saying that's good and bad, like, oh, well, so they should give you those things. You want, and that those are necessarily good things. It can be, but we turn good desires even into demands, right? Like, it's a good thing to want to be respected, but when that becomes a demand such that it creates conflict, that's when it becomes a problem. So why do we have conflict? James says we have to look into the heart, okay? We've talked about that before. But here's the question. How do we resolve it then? And look, there's a lot of things we could talk about in conflict of how do we resolve it. We could talk about, man, sometimes you need to confront somebody and how do you, and this might sound bad, but how do you premeditatively confront somebody about something? Or when do you just overlook an offense? Proverbs says it can be wise to overlook an offense, So we could talk about a lot of that stuff, of how to avoid it, how do you approach someone that you know you need to have conflict with, but I just want to talk about this piece tonight. What do you do in the middle of it? Okay? Not the avoidance, not how you proactively confront someone about something, but but what do you do in the middle of it? Because you're going to find yourself here this week. What do you do in the middle of it? What do you do in the middle of conflict? When you find yourself in conflict, what do you do in the middle of it. So back to your last conflict. What was it? Why did you have a conflict? How did it start? But then here's a really important question. How did it get resolved? So think back to your last conflict. How did it get resolved? Because a lot of times, here's what happens. A lot of times what happens is there's some sort of argument there's some sort of issue on the table and it kind of reaches this peak and then just kind of fizzles out. It might be it ends with an agree to disagree. It might be there's, I mean, depending on who you are, it might be a big yelling match that then just kind of you go your separate ways and then come back nice. It might be that you kind of argue about something in the car or you argue about something somewhere and, and then you kind of go, okay, let's just stop fighting about that. But a lot of times what happens in conflict is it reaches this peak of frustration, whatever that is for you. Some people are more aggressive. Some people are more passive, and they just kind of cold shoulder. It reaches a peak, and then it just fizzles. But here's what happens. It's kind of like this, and I was just kind of trying to think about this. Imagine, you know, you take like a hot chocolate packet. I don't know. I might sound like six right now. But you take a hot chocolate packet, and you pour it in your drink. It's just kind of that clump on the top, right? And conflict is kind of, this stuff gets dumped in there, and then it gets all whirled around, whirled around, whirled around, whirled around. And then what happens is, you kind of go, oh, okay, so it's, it's resolved now. We've gotten rid of that clump. But what happens if you just let that sit there? Eventually, all that stuff comes back together, usually at the bottom of the cup, and it just comes back together. It doesn't really go anywhere. It hasn't actually been resolved. It hasn't actually been taken away. And I know I use hot chocolate and you're like, well, that sounds good. So maybe it's poison hot chocolate, okay? But it doesn't go away, it just stays there. The residue builds back up again. You might feel like there's a piece because it got all swirled around and spread out, but it clumps back up again. And so then you fight again. And many conflicts don't actually get resolved. They don't actually get resolved. But what we need to do, well, what we need to do is have two specific things in the middle of a conflict, confession and forgiveness, confession and forgiveness. Now, this is true of any relationship you have, okay? So even the verses we're going to look at, these aren't marriage verses, so don't go, oh, this is just marriage stuff, I don't have conflicts. Well, these are just people verses, and the Bible thinks that they're important for everybody to know. And it's actually even just true with your relationship with God as well. But I want you to think about this. We need two things in the middle of a conflict, confession and forgiveness. And an image I like to use for this, and I thought about bringing one up here, but I didn't, is a bike. And I want you to think about your life or your marriage as a journey to somewhere beautiful, some beautiful bike ride. Some of you bike, some of you don't, like me. Um, But it goes somewhere beautiful. I know... Meg took this beautiful bike ride trip to Telluride. Okay, Telluride's gorgeous. I don't know if you've ever been there. Beautiful, just mountain jutting out of the ground. Well, I guess they all do that, but just jutting out. You know, and it's just like the whole town. It's just beautiful. Go there. Okay, and um, imagine taking a bike ride to some place beautiful. That's what your marriage is like. That's what your life is like. It's this destination, but it's a bike ride, and confession and forgiveness are the pedals that move that bike forward. Conflict will take you somewhere. And if you don't do confession right, you don't do forgiveness right, it'll take you somewhere. It won't take you to Telluride. It'll take you to, um, like, I don't know, where's a bad place, you know? (laughs) East, yeah, Pueblo. It'll take you to Pueblo. (laughs) Someone said (laughs) Pueblo. Sorry, Gene. Wherever your bad place is, that's where it'll take you. Because it, it will take you somewhere but it has the, it's an up, I mean, I like the image of a bike because it's uphill, it's hard, but confession, forgiveness, confession, forgiveness, that's how you actually use conflict to take you to a beautiful place. So think about that image of a bike, and let's talk about the first pedal. So the first is confession. How do we confess? How do we actually move that pedal so it's Going the right way, not the wrong way. How do we move the confession pedal? How do we actually confess? And the Bible says that we are supposed to confess our sins. Here's just a couple verses. It's all over the place. But James 5 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's spiritual issues that sometimes even affect our bodies. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And all all over the Bible talks about confession, both to one another, to God. But how do we confess? And maybe you might think this. Well, we don't, if you're married, you might think, or maybe even if you're not married, okay, you might think this. I don't have conflicts. We don't fight. But that's not the same thing. Do you confess? Because a lot of people don't have conflict. But that doesn't mean they don't sin against one another. They sin against one another all the time, but a lot of people deal with that passively. You may have even had parents, a lot of times it kind of just breaks down this way, that one is more aggressive and one is more passive. And some of your parents maybe dealt with conflict by hashing it out and yelling at one another, and others just kind of went their separate ways and did their own thing. But there's still sin. And it moves you somewhere. You still sin against one another. So how do we confess? Because a lot of times we don't confess. Here's some of the things we do instead of confessing. And I've talked about these before, but I think it's always a good refresher. I know many of you haven't uh, heard this. But there's kind of three separate categories that we do instead of confession that are kind of substitutes for confession. So think about conflict that you have with people. And, and as we go through these, I want you to think about where do you find yourself? Maybe you'll go all of them, and maybe you'll go none of them. No, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely find yourself somewhere. But think about it with people, but also think about it with God. Because I think we do the same thing with God, when you talk with God, when you confess, if you do confess sin to God. So here's three different categories. The first is we downplay, okay? The first category of ways we don't confess, that we kind of pretend or confession, we downplay whatever sin we have. One of the ways we do that is we polish it. And I like to think about that just in, you know, you're kind of taking whatever your sin is and polishing it up to make it look as nice as possible. So often what we do is we say things like, "Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't as nice as I could have been. Instead of saying, I was a jerk. Or I might not have been completely honest. Instead of, I lied to you. I deceived you. I'm sorry that I have a little bit of problem with um, saying things I probably shouldn't have said. There's all, we polish up instead of saying, here's what I did, and naming it. The second way we downplay what we've done is we give things pet names. So, you know, the Bible talks about things like adultery, and lying, and harshness, and lust, but we give those things names that feel better, like, "I went on a website I shouldn't have," instead of "I'm lusting and looking at pornography." "I'm committing adultery in my heart." Or we say things like, uh, "You know, I'm kind of just having a bad day, I'm in a bad mood," instead of, "I'm being irritable and impatient with you." Right? We give pet names to things so they sound better. Or we say maybe. Um, Like maybe I shouldn't have done this. So it's still downplaying it. It's making it not as big of a deal. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe. Or we say I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings when I said that. Really, what'd you mean to do? Did you mean to compliment me? No, you meant to hurt my feelings. You, you actually did mean to hurt. You might feel bad for it now, but in that moment, you meant to hurt me. I didn't mean to not tell you the whole truth. I didn't mean to... No, you did mean to do that. That's the, anytime someone says I didn't mean to, what they mean is I actually totally meant to. So that's one category. Instead of confessing, we downplay it and make it go, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Another category is we deflect, which means we kind of put it onto the other person. So we're pretending this is a confession, but really we're kind of putting it back onto them. One of these is, I'm sorry you feel like that. So who's to blame there in that situation? I'm sorry if you feel that I wronged you. You're sorry I feel like that? Well, I'm not sorry I feel like that. I do feel like that. It's not saying, I'm sorry I did that. It's saying, I'm sorry you feel like that. I'm sorry that you're such an emotional person that can't handle yourself. I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. I'm sorry that you perceive things so wrongly. I'm sorry that you're stupid, is basically what that's saying. Or we say this, if you were hurt or if you, something, so if if you were hurt by what I said, if you were upset by what I did, If you were, and so again, putting it onto them. If you're making such a big deal about this, or we say makes me, which is somebody does something and we say, you know, I'm sorry that I got upset with you, but when you do that, it makes me so frustrated. So again, you're putting blame on them. I'm sorry I um, keep coming home late from work, but it, the situation is so crazy, and it makes me so stressful. It makes me so stressed out. Instead of taking ownership, you're putting it on someone else. Or, and these are you know related, but we just excuse and explain it. So we may say, you know, I'm I'm sorry that I wasn't. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I wasn't honest with you, but. You also, a lot of times, aren't honest with me. I'm sorry that um, I didn't pick up from the store what I said I was going to pick up, but you've forgotten a lot of things also. I'm sorry that I'm being insensitive, but my parents raised me to be insensitive. You're excusing it, explaining it, deflecting it. Okay? Okay? Third category, we do nothing. I think this is one of the most common ones for Christians, this here, I'm sorry. Nowhere in the Bible do you see something that says, apologize for your sin. And yet, what many of our parents taught us is go tell your brother you're sorry, which is fine, but that is often All we do. So, what's the last conflict you had? How did it resolve? Did you end it with saying sorry? If so, conflict is taking you into a direction of hostility and coldness and distance. I'm sorry is only a declaration of your emotional state saying that you have sorrow. Why do you have sorrow? Because you got caught? Because you look bad? because why? why? Why are you sorry? What are you sorry for? Sometimes if Sarah and I have gotten in an argument and one of us says, I'm sorry, and go, well, yeah, well, you know, I know that you did that. Oh, that's not even what I was apologizing for. I'm not apologizing. I'm okay with, that I did that. I'm not sorry for that. So if you don't even know what you're, I mean, I'm sorry just says, it's just a declaration of your emotional state. I agree, or I understand. Somebody says maybe something like this, you know, you, you've been really selfish recently. I know, I agree with you. <laughs> well, conflict resolved. That's how it happens a lot. I'm sorry, I understand. Okay, thank you. Like, is that really resolved? It won't happen again. So a lot of times the way conflict gets resolved is somebody, instead of confessing, again, see how these are all different from actually confessing? And we'll talk about what confession is. But it's, hey, you know what? It's not going to happen again. I won't do it again. I'm going to be different. There still hasn't been confession. There's just been a, a reassertion of your will to do something. Or let's move on. So sometimes you might say something like, hey, I'm sorry that I did that. Now let's just be done with it let's move on it might even kind of sound like confession but really it's just a way for you to get it off your chest and get past it because you don't like the com- uncomfortable situation of a conflict so these are kind of three different ways we downplay we deflect to the other person or a situation or we just kind of do nothing about it even with these kinds of statements that sound like resolution can sound like confession but it's not. And if you find yourself in these patterns, this is the bike traveling to Pueblo or somewhere that you don't want to go to Applebee's. Okay. This is the bike traveling to Applebee's. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Got to work it in every, you know, every other sermon. Okay. So what is confession? How do we confess? How do we actually confess? The first thing is this, we got to confess to God. First, we confess to God because our sin is against God. First and foremost, all sin in our life is against Him. So let me ask you this. Again, think about your human conflict you've had. A lot of times, people have a conflict. They might even resolve it with one another. But have you gone before God and said, God, I've sinned against you. David, King David, in the Bible, wrote the Psalms or several of them, he says after he had a husband killed and slept with his wife and got her pregnant and was a coward about some other things, he says, God, against you only have I sinned. Really? What about the guy you killed? What about his wife you slept with? What about the whole army that you tricked and lied to? I mean, what about that? He says, against you and you only have I sinned. To say that first and foremost, our sin is against him. So when you sin, in any sin, but even think about your relational sin, do you confess to God? Not doing those, cause, and we can do those same things to God. We can say, God, I'm sorry. I understand what I did was wrong. I won't do it again. And that's still not confession. Confession is actually saying, here's what I did. Here is my sin. Here is how I, using Bible language, often is helpful. Here is what I've done. God, here's what I did. So we start with God in confession, first and foremost. So even think about this. If you're married or in the middle of a conflict with someone, I'm even saying this, and I know sometimes it doesn't happen like this. I'm even saying this. Stop in the middle and say, I admit it talk to God, confess to him, and then reconvene. But the second part of confession is not just to God, but it's to the other person. And confession is not downplaying it. It's not deflecting it. It's not just saying sorry about it. It's being specific about how you sinned against the other person. How did you sin against them? That's confession. I lied to you. I deceived you. I've been self-centered towards you. I've been harsh with you. I've been impatient with you. I've been rude to you. I've been proud with you. I have have not been compassionate. I have not loved you. That's confession. It's naming specifically what you did, how you did it, and even why. Why? being able to open up about the spiritual battle. I was dishonest with you because I was afraid of what you would think because in my heart, I desire this respect from you more than I should. That's confession. Confession is here's what my sin is. It's being real. It's not saying, I'm sorry I wasn't that honest. I'm sorry I wasn't that kind. I'm sorry I wasn't as helpful as I could have been. Think about how we just tidy it all up so neat or just say, sorry. Look, I'm in the same boat, okay? All, I, I mean, I thought up those just by thinking, what do I do, okay? It's just, it's, instead of saying, confession is, here is my sin. Here's how I did it. Here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Confession is also acknowledging the hurt you've caused to another person. Sorry, I've been so selfish towards you. I'm sorry, I've been so selfish towards you by not thinking about you with my time. That was wrong. I do that because I am living my life really for myself. I'm sorry about that. I know that that must cause you a lot of pain. I know that must be hard. You're acknowledging the hurt that you've done too. This is so much different from just saying, I'll do better. It's saying, man, I see what I have done. It means you've actually thought about it. It means you're able to name sin that you've done, why you've done it. This also protects you, by the way, from confessing things you shouldn't confess. Because, so after this sermon, somebody might come up to me and say, hey, I'm really upset that you quoted from James. I think James is a loser. So I'm not going to confess Now, I know that, you know, is maybe far-fetched, kind of, but just because somebody confronts you about something doesn't mean it's sin, but a lot of times we just go, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but confession actually helps us to be clear about, did I sin against this person? Was I rude to them? Was I irritable? Was I arrogant? Was I harsh? Or was I just truthful and they didn't like it? Was I just following the priorities God's given to me, and they were upset because they wanted me to spend time with them, you don't confess things that aren't sin. You can talk about them with somebody and and seek understanding, but you confess sin. You confess, here's what I did, here's even why I did it. You acknowledge the hurt that you've caused the other person. And, furthermore, when you confess, You welcome consequences. Because sometimes in your sin, there's consequences. So you may so even in a confession, it might be, look, I know because of what I've done, it might be really hard for you to trust me. You welcome them instead of going, well, hey, I confess, so it's all good now. You welcome consequences. And you also express a desire to change. So you say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Here's what I did. You name it specifically. You talk about why. You acknowledge hurt. And you welcome the consequences. And you say, I'm going to try to work on this. I'm going to get help with this. I'm going to try to treat you better. You're specific about really wanting to reorient your life. That's confession. So if that to you goes like, whoa, that's, I don't even, I said sorry once. That's what confession is. Confession is, here is what I've done. And a declaration that that's not where you want to go anymore, both to God and to another person. That's what confession is. And then confession ends with asking forgiveness. Confession ends with asking forgiveness. Now listen, this is important. That you confess and then you say to the other person, will you forgive me? That's a humbling thing to do. And even when I do marriage counseling and things, I see that's one of the hardest things for people to actually do. They'll even confess, but then oh, like it's, it puts you in a humbling position to say, power's in your hands now. Will you forgive me? And the other person might say no. And sometimes Sarah and I have a conflict and one of us might say, no. I need some time. Because I'm not going to just say I forgive you when I don't. So that's how confession goes. A side note that I want to say is this. If you're dating somebody, do they repent? Like that? Do they confess like that? Or do you see in them consistent? We all, and look, we all do these things, okay? But is that, do you only see in them deflecting, downplaying, doing nothing, that that's where all your conflicts go. One of the top questions I ask people when they're dating, if they're asking me, what do you think about this person is, do they repent? Do they confess like that? If not, they're not gonna change. And your bike is gonna go somewhere else. It's gonna go somewhere. Conflict takes you somewhere. If you're married... This week, I want to ask you to do something. Okay? I just want to ask you to do something. Would you write your spouse a letter of confession? And this might be something that you go, man, I've, I've never really confessed like that. And maybe there's even patterns. Would you write them a letter and say, I need to confess some things to you. Ask God to reveal what you need to put in that. If you're not married, is, and, and, you know, and married people, same here on this, but is there somebody you need to confess to? Conflict festering that's not resolved like this leads to distance, to bitterness, to pain, to hostility. Is there someone you need to confess to? If if somebody came to your mind, that may be God bringing that person to your mind. Okay? Second pedal of the bike is forgiveness. How do we forgive? A lot of times, the pattern is this. I'm sorry. It's okay. Do you see how woefully inadequate that is compared to what we're talking about here? I'm sorry, it's okay. But it's not okay, right? Like if somebody has sinned against you and sinned against God, it's not okay. I mean, sometimes I find it amazing, I sit down with people that have had something bad done to them, somebody mistreat them, parents, strangers, friends, And they talk about it and then go, but you know, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay. You were sinned against. That was bad. A lot of times, instead of forgiveness, we just kind of say, it's okay. But it's not. It's wrong. Or sometimes we say, I forgive you. But we don't really mean it from our heart. Here's how you know you mean it from your heart. Did you kiss afterwards? I'm talking about married people, okay? So, you know, not just everybody. Did you kiss afterwards? Did you hug afterwards? That's how you, I mean, sometimes Sarah and I, if we have some sort of conflict, say, I forgive you. We both say, I forgive you. And it still feels like there's some sort of tension a lot of people think that's normal. Oh, well, of course, there's just going to be some tension afterwards. No. There shouldn't be. Because confession and forgiveness creates reconciliation. It creates putting you back together. So something went amiss. Something didn't get confessed that should have gotten confessed. Or real forgiveness wasn't granted yet. There's still some sort of holding on. I forgive you might mean I don't want to talk about it anymore which is okay, by the way. It's okay. you know, we're not going into all the details of conflict, but it's okay to say, hey, I need some time. I'm not ready to forgive you. That's okay. But forgiveness ends with reconciliation in the marriage context. There's some people that are dangerous people. There's some people that you forgive that doesn't mean the relationship is restored, Okay, but in a marriage context. So how do we forgive? Real forgiveness includes these four things. This is from a man named Ken Sandy, who wrote a book called and leads a ministry or led a ministry called The Peacemakers. And forgiveness makes these four promises. It says, one, I won't dwell on this incident, which means I'm not gonna replay this over and over again in my mind, which is what we often do, right? Replay it, rewind it, think back about it. Think about what you would have said differently. Think about what they said, how you could have gotten them with this thing if you would have said that says, I won't dwell on this incident. It's gone. Two, it says, I won't bring this up and use it against you. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no records of wrong. Forgiveness isn't stupid. I mean, it's not like, I don't know what happened. But it means, I'm not going to bring this up and use it against you. Okay, that's an important distinction. Because it doesn't mean you won't ever bring it up. You might need to bring it up to get help you might, you know, if somebody has an addiction, if somebody has some sort of problem, you might need to bring it up and say, man, this keeps happening, but it means I'm not going to bring this up against you. I'm not going to bring this up as a tool in my tool belt to fight you, to harass you, to mock you, to belittle you. I will not talk to others about this. Again, you might need help. You might need marriage counseling. You might need somebody to intervene in an unsafe situation, Okay? If there's somebody that's abusive, you might need to go talk to somebody about an incident. But forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to go talk to others about this. If I forgive you, I'm not going around and then saying, oh, I forgive you, but I'd like to tell everybody what you did. And forgiveness also says, I will not allow this to stand between us or hinder our relationship. Real forgiveness is costly. You're absorbing something that somebody else has done to you. And forgiveness is an event, meaning you do it in a moment, but sometimes, especially with things that have been long-term, ongoing things, it's a process. And I don't know where everybody is, and you might be going through different things, and sometimes I know people feel, so you know, I'm kind of speaking to these people right now, but sometimes people feel guilty of, I thought I forgave that person, but now I'm angry again, and I'm mad again, and I'm Forgiveness is an event, but especially with kind of long-term sins against us, it's a process, too, that we come back to. And we go, God, help me again to forgive this person. Once again, I'm, I'm wanting to make them pay. Once again, God, help me to forgive. So it's an event, and it's a process. And forgiveness, listen, is for sin. So if somebody um, does something that is just different, then that's an instance where it's, I'm sorry, it's okay. Somebody bumps into you on the road, you don't go, oh, okay, let's not downplay this. Let's not deflect this. You bumped into me, okay? And I need a confession, and when I'm ready, I'll forgive you. You need, I'm sorry, it's okay, right? And there's sometimes in our marriage that one of us might say, hey, will you forgive me? And we'll say, no. No. Don't forgive you because it wasn't sin. You didn't sin against me. Just, that was just kind of something different that we just had a difference about doing something and didn't realize it. So, sorry about that. Okay, thank you. You know, you spill milk. It's not a sin. It's I'm sorry. And it's okay. Okay? That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is these promises. And it's a powerful thing. Now here's what this does. Forgiveness does not keep you in the same place. Confession and forgiveness are bike pedals. They don't keep you in the same place. They, it's not like you. So if you're here and you have a conflict and you know it moves you to negative ten, it's not that when the conflict is done you're back to zero. It moves you forward when you do it like this. When there's confession and forgiveness, and confession, and forgiveness, you're getting closer and closer to Telluride. You're getting closer and closer to the beautiful, I mean, think about if you're married right now, what's the beautiful picture you want your marriage to be? You get there, not just through date nights, and through sex, and through good conversations, and you get there through this. You get there through confession, and forgiveness. Confession, and and forgiveness, because it builds intimacy, and you begin to see the other person not for their faults kind of stacking up. You begin to see the other person not as this person that's against you because you've forgiven the wrongs, and you begin to know the other person. I know that as Sarah and I more and more confess to one another, man, here's what I did, and I'm sorry, and here's why I did it, she understands more what I battle with, and I understand more what she battles with. And we're able more to have empathy even in each other's sin. It moves you forward. It moves you to deeper places of joy and intimacy. Repentance is romantic. Okay, put that on a t-shirt. Repentance is romantic. More than anything else, that is what will make your marriage or your relationships, your friendships move forward. Not just letting things go Not just downplaying, deflecting, doing nothing, saying it's okay, but confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. That's what moves you forward. That's what moves you forward on a bike to Telluride. What I love about this is that this is for anybody. And here's what I mean. If you feel like, man, our marriage is great, we're at Telluride, great. Confession and forgiveness can take you to the Alps or whatever's better than Telluride. It keeps going because your life keeps going and you keep sinning. But what I also love is this if you feel like it's messed up, you can move one pedal forward. You can move one pedal forward and you just got closer. You can start and you do it again and again and you get closer and closer and closer and closer. Now this takes work and the thing that powers that peddling is not just our willpower. The thing that powers that is when we see that that is how God has treated us. And this is what I'll close with. Ephesians 4 says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, what actually gives us the power to move those things forward? It's when we see that that's how God treated us. Look at how he says this. Be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. See, what he's saying there is this that's how God did it to you. God is kind to you. God is tenderhearted towards you. God is forgiving of you in Jesus. Here's what forgiveness means from God. It means that we are so much worse than we think we are. See, why would what does this mean that, that he gave himself up for us? That he's a sacrifice. It means our sin is so repugnant, so bad the things we do, both to other people and to God, that our lives are centered on us. So bad that it should be our death. You, we all in this room are way worse than we think we are. We are so bad that God himself had to shed his blood and have his body broken. That's how bad we are. But he is so good that that's what he forgives. Who do you find difficult to forgive? They've wronged you, right? I'm not belittling it. They've wronged you. But what they've done is this, compared to what we've done to God. We killed God. That's pretty bad. And yet, what is God's reaction to us? Kindness. Tend, I love that word, tenderheartedness. It's, what do you usually think of when you sin? When you sin, you probably think that God is saying, "You better freaking get this together." But He's tender. I mean, I heard this dad just yelling at his kid, screaming at him, calling, I mean, I'm not even going to say it, but just horrible things, okay? And I, I couldn't make out the whole thing, but something that the kid had done something dumb. We think that that's what God is like towards us. So if we can grovel, if we can fix it, if we can do all the right things, then he'll forgive us. But what this says is, no, no, Christ, you are so bad that Jesus died for you. But he's so loving and gracious and tenderhearted and kind that he wanted to. He willingly did that. You didn't have to beg him. You didn't have to ask him. He said, I see your sin and I want to die for you. I want to give you grace and mercy. I want to take it away. So if you see that that's what he's done to you, that begins to change you. It begins to give you the power to go, I can give that to somebody else. Not just by imitation, although that's true, but by a change of heart. And if you go, God has, and here's, Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you don't feel like God has much to forgive you of. Or maybe you don't feel that sense of forgiveness and grace. But here's why. It's because you're still denying your sin. You're not, you're probably, if you confess to God, you're probably confessing in ways that are deflecting and downplaying. And God, I'm not that bad. Instead of saying, I'm worse than I think I am. Which means he is so much better if your sin is big, God is all the more bigger, right? If your sin is just little, then sure, God's kind of, it's like the bump in the road. I'm sorry, it's okay. But the cross is not God's, it's okay. The cross is God's, it's not okay, and I forgive you and give you grace, and you live your life now under a banner of forgiven and grace and mercy and acceptance. And loved and adopted and cherished under a God that has a tender heart towards you, that runs after you in your sin. That's this God. And if you feel that, then you go, man, how could I withhold forgiveness from someone else? So when we take communion, that's what we remember. And so as we take communion, I want you to confess to God. And, um, I want to even just give you a moment. Um, Ethan, when you come up, could you just even play a little bit, give you know, a minute and a half, a couple minutes, just music. I want to give you just a moment to confess to God, okay? If you're with your spouse, I want you to write a letter, but I want you, I want you to, if you can, hold their hand, And if there's something, even from today or even if there's patterns in your mind, confess to them. And you'll have longer conversations about it, but confess to them. So take a moment, confess to God, and whisper sweet confessions in your spouse's ear. And then when you're ready, come take communion. Okay? And then we're going to sing because we can bring it all to the table to God because he's already died for us and forgiven us and loved us. This is the good news, you guys. This is it. That's the good news. Let me pray. Father, I pray right now that you would open up hearts that maybe are even wanting to shut off right now. And that you would give us the gift of repentance. That you would create freedom in our hearts to confess to you and to one another. Knowing that you've already paid for it. Knowing that as bad as we think we are, we're worse. And yet as good as we think you are, you're so much better. Lord, help us to believe the good news that you are a tender-hearted, gracious, merciful God. Help us to believe that, that we see in Jesus. Help us to see that. So God, even now, I pray that that you would um, move, Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our words. And Lord, by your power, move the pedals where you want them to go. Take us to that beautiful place that you want us to be, of knowing more deeply who you are, and growing in intimacy in the relationships that we have. In your name, Jesus. Amen.